as mums, we owe it to one another to talk about the real, raw and the tough parts, as well as the great parts of motherhood. I'm sick of hearing mums say, why didn't no one tell me? And am I the only one going through this? If you are too, then this podcast is for you. We're all going through the same roller coaster, and we aren't bad mums for finding this shit hard, but we shouldn't feel pressure to be perfect mums either. My hopes for this podcast is to be a community or a village for mums to feel less alone, more supported, empowered and enjoy some sarcastic British humour along the way. Hi, I'm Lara, personal trainer, mum to two boys and your host. Let's stop sugarcoating motherhood and normalise the normal. Hello and welcome to another episode. I have been joined again by Kate Kripke. I'm so pleased. Uh, it's the third episode with us uh, because we keep getting such good feedback from you. So I have to keep bringing you along. <laughs> well, Lara, for me, it just feels like a really, you were just saying this before we hit record, but a really fun, easy conversation. And I can talk about the stuff, you know, till the cow goes home. Is that that yeah. weird phrase? But <laughs> Um, so thank you for continuing to invite me on. Oh, you're welcome. And if anyone who's listening has not heard Kate Kripke before, we've got two other episodes. So make sure to tune into those ones as well. And we've got her details in our show notes below. So we're going to dive right in because we've Let's had dive right in. actually some really good feedback when I was doing a Facebook Live. I don't know if you saw what I was doing, but I actually went because I recognize that I've been brought up as a good girl, good child. And we're going to talk about why that's an issue um or not and I so I understand a bit more about myself I will obviously understand a lot more after doing your course (laughs) however I was doing I was very very nervous and I was going out to advertise my yin yoga event so I had these flyers and I was just going to traipse the streets because it's local and I felt it in me I was like but I can't ask someone for something. That's not how I've been brought up. Like I have to um, please other people. It's not the good girl in me. So I felt it and I was so nervous. And I, because I know now that I have to go through and do the thing that makes me feel uncomfortable so that you go through and you're at the other side sort of thing. But the comments I was getting on this Facebook live saying, I didn't know, that's me. I had no idea. I didn't, I've been brought up as a good girl. Why is that wrong? I'm doing it to my children. It's like, okay, wow. Okay, let's do an episode on this. (laughs) It's so good. And I think, I mean, I also was the good girl growing up and I can talk more about that as well. But I, I relate, I think this is an incredibly important topic, not just because women who were raised to be good girls and who have become good girls at the uh, um at with uh at the risk of not being their most true selves that's real problematic when it comes to mental health and well-being and we as the quote unquote good girl if we're not paying attention will very easily to your point raise our daughters to be the same good girls. And I have a lot of thoughts around that. So I think this topic is really deep and rich. And maybe we just start by answering that little question you just put out there at the end when someone says, but is it bad? Of course, it's nothing's bad as long as it works for you and you're not harming people in the process, right? So if following the rules and living up to other people's expectations feels true and real and good within your psyche, 
and no one's getting hurt in the process, then no problem. There's nothing wrong with that. But if you're doing that and suffering silently inside, then there's probably something that needs to be addressed there. Mm, definitely. And it's like, but also I, I can hear like parents saying, but I, that's how I brought you up. I wanted you to be a good girl. Like, well, let's start there. Wrong? Well, let's talk about that. Let's maybe we start there. Like when you use that term, Laura, or when these other people who are responding to your post or your, your, your lives, what's the definition when you say good girl, what do you mean? Exactly. It's, it's being obedient. It's um, it's very generic as well. I, I just being remember being told, "Good girl, good girl." And it's like, okay, constantly, I need to make sure I'm a good girl. I'm I'm pleasing others. Um, I have to be good, but I don't really know what that is. But I need everyone to tell me that I'm a good girl. So that's how things have been. So I heard three important things that we can dive into. One is a good girl is someone who pleases others. The other that you were alluding to is I have to be good to be loved. There was one other one that I had and it just slipped my mind. I'll come back to it. But let's just start with those two, right? If I am a good girl, I am pleasing others and I have to please others and be obedient was the other word that you, you, word you used, to be good. The other thing I know what I was going to say, the third thing is this sort of sense of self as being so wrapped up. So you're you, when you said that you're not what you're not saying is, oh, I need to be thoughtful and kind and make decisions that are in service of myself and other people. I'd be like, hallelujah. But if my quote unquote being good, so being obedient and pleasing others is how I define myself as a human. If I'm not doing that, then I'm a bad human. If I'm not being obedient and I'm not pleasing others, there's something wrong with me. That's where this gets really, that's where the conversation starts. Exactly. And I think there was, you know, I think many of us are learning in our generation to raise our children and not use terms like good girl, good good boy. And of course that's in part because when we label children as being good or bad, there's no room for them to test their own waters, to figure out who they are, right? It's a lot of pressure as well on mums now too, because we are learning how to be different now, how to bring up our children, not just good boy, good girl. Well, see, I think here we're now we're really getting in it, right? Because the other additional I was going to say thing I was going to say is many of us were raised by parents who said to us, "Good girl, good boy," like you said. But what is good? Good exactly. assumes there's a bad. Yeah. Right? Don't even get me started on Christmas. You have to be nice or naughty. And it's like, no. What is this? <laughs> so it really digs into this binary thinking: either or, either I'm obedient. And I please other people and I never disappoint people and I'm quiet and I stay in line no tantrum, like, and yeah. I'm good or I speak up and I'm messy and I am willing to say no to people, even it's going to disappoint them in X, Y, or Z and I'm bad. And that's the challenge. And of course, we're made up of all of it. We have the capacity to do quote unquote 
good things and bad things. We have the capacity and there are plenty of valid reasons to um, to follow rules and plenty of valid reasons to break rules, right? There's plenty of valid reasons to please other people, especially when it makes us feel good to do that. And there's plenty of reasons to say no to people, even if it's going to disappoint them. So life is nuanced. And the moment we say good girl, it assumes that there's a bad girl. Yeah, love that. Definitely. Not to mention, I guess I'm curious, you know, I, I was born and raised in New York City and and I'm at my, you know, there's just cultural differences all around the world. I do think that this is a pretty um, worldwide phenomenon, but isn't it interesting how we would define we being the you know larger we what a good girl is she's obedient she's quiet she pleases other people she's, i mean what was that no i agree with you i was thinking all of these things that that's how i was being brought up i'm the oldest of five and you you know you just do things that you're you you're being told to do by my mom by my nana good girl like Keep helping. Because that's what girls do. So we've got so much gender stereotyping here. Don't be angry. That was a big one. I had to learn that it was okay for me to show an angry response to something. It's okay to cry. But then with the boys, it's not okay to cry. <laughs> so let's pull the camera back for a minute, Lauren. I'm just curious. If you were to observe your parents parenting you, and they were saying to you, Laura, be a good girl, be a good girl. Why do you think they wanted you to be a good girl? Well, in their head, they're trying to bring me up to be kind and um, confident and all of these things I'm presuming and polite and everything, but they don't specify. They just do the generic thing of good girl. Um, and they they want me to be brought up that way, um, I guess because they don't want me to be bad, you know? Because if you were bad, yeah, what would that say more? If you were bad, if you were being loud, if you weren't following rules, if you were whatever, what would the impact of that be on them? Exactly. Well, my mom was a single mom. She had to keep pushing the good girl because fuck me, I can't handle all five of you going through your own ordeals. I just need to make sure that you're all good. So I am going to say something that is not at all intended to throw your parents or any other listeners' parents' parents under the bus, okay, at all, or my parents for that matter, right? Parents who say to their children, you must be the good girl or boy for that matter, tend to be parents who don't know how to sit, do not know how to sit with their own discomfort. It is easier for me as a mother, if my child, my daughter, I have two daughters, if they are kind and courteous and respectful and quiet and they help out and they're, they follow the rules and they get good grades. Like if they're doing all of those things, I get to feel like a good mother. Mm. I can take it personally. I can, not only am I like, look at my child, how, ooh, I've done such a good job raising her, right? Not only that, but I don't have to sit through and tolerate the messiness and the discomfort and the internal chaos that ha- comes with when our kids are pushing back or rebelling 
or messy or coloring outside of the lines, literally or figuratively, right? So we, we've we talked about secure parenting in our other episodes and why do we take such good care of ourselves as mothers? Well, in many reason, ways, the reason we do that is that we can give our kids the space that they need to practice all of it, to practice being messy and being neat, to practice following the rules and breaking the rules, to practice, you know, seeing what happens when they look at an adult in the eye and say, please and thank you, and to feel what that feels like, and for them to see what happens and feels what, what it feels like to be disrespectful, right? They, they have to experience all of it to find their own way. But that means we have to be willing to experience all of it with them. I love that. Because it, like I said to you in the past ones, that it's being a parent has taught me so much about myself. And each child has taught me something different as well. And with my firstborn, he's been testing me a lot in that, not really, he's just being himself, which I love. But him going through a tantrum and a big emotion is like really confrontational to me. And I had to learn like that's okay for him to go through that big emotion. It's normal. I, he He needs to feel that. So for me, I was like, oh, he can't do that. And especially he can't do it in public, like stamping it. Let's just do, give him everything that he wants so that he doesn't go through this tantrum. Until I realized it's a good thing for him to do that. And it's my issue. So I'm like, okay, cool. Let's just sit in this really uncomfortable position. For example, sitting in a shopping mall, screaming child. And I just had to sit there and let passers-by feel their discomfort when they come and approach me and say, is everything okay? Or is your child ADHD or autistic? Because surely he has to be if he's going through a big emotion. And I'm Right, just- because from, from that perspective, big emotion is bad. Yes, and yeah. still, it's still very much like that. So I feel like we're the first parents to maybe start going through this learning of ourselves and teaching children not that it's okay to have these big emotions. I can tell you what I see in my work all the time. And I am going to preface this by saying, this has been my journey. Like I have had to learn how to stop being the good girl all the time because it was fueling my anxiety, fueling my anxiety. When we are what I'm just going to go, I'm going to, can I sort of get a little Mm. uh, psychological with you for a moment? Okay. So when children are born, when, when babies are born, those like before they have all those experiences that define who they are in the world, right? All children have the capacity, I used that word earlier, and will manifest, will show up with the whole spectrum of emotions, right? Angry, joyful, sad, happy, messy, chaotic, organized, right? We have, we as humans, we have it's all we are we are all of it and we will exhibit all of it and so that means behaviors that also means emotions that is a full human being and before we're told and taught what's okay and what's not okay we will exhibit all of it that's why you see kids who will go from one moment crying to the next moment laughing right they're just they're just feeling their feels they're just like they move these emotions move on both sides okay many of us are raised in families where we are taught that one end of the spectrum, messy, unpredictable, disorganized, loud, you know, um, unhappy. So then you put an angry, all those words, right? That that's not okay. 
that it's only okay, and you can def- define okay with whatever you want, to be organized, clean, predictable, um, uh, competent, kind, quiet, joyful, hopeful, whatever that is, fill in the blank, right? So what happens when we are raised in a family or a culture that requires that of us is that we begin to shut off from a major part of our humanness. So we maybe can hold that together until we can't, right? Because life throws us curveballs all the time. We talked about this before. If someone does something mean, we're going to feel hurt, right? If if we lose something, we're going to feel sad. If we don't know what we're doing, we're going to feel incompetent, right? So all of that is just going to happen. Unpredictability and uncertainty leads to we are going to feel anxious. So all of that's going to happen. So what happens is that we move into adulthood and anytime we feel fill in the blank negative emotion or anytime we have an experience of fill in the blank, you know, lack of good girlness, not knowing what to do, messiness, unpredictability, anger, whatever that is, we will get scared. We will reject that part of ourselves. And that is what can cause so much anxiety and inner conflict, right? So it's like we, to your point, it's like we want to be raising children who feel safe enough to experience all of those parts of themselves so that they can grow into integrated adults who don't get freaked out when they feel angry (laughs) or don't beat themselves up when they know that saying no to something someone's asking of them is important to them because we, and that's where it comes now to modeling this good girlness to our children, right? If, if we're not careful, it's just this whole, like, oof, the happiest, most secure and confident humans on this planet are those who have made room for all of their parts, which is ironic because you said a moment ago, well, the reason my parents wanted me to be a good girl is so that I was happy and confident. And I'm like, is, I get that. And that is not the way. to to raise a child to be happy and confident. I love, there's so many things that you touched on there. And actually when you've just said, how do you raise a child to be happy and confident now? Just for a few examples, because um, my mum, I remember growing up and I had three brothers and a sister. So there were five of us. Um, She even created a good chart. So we had stars for doing good things and we had black spots when we did bad things. Oh my God. I remember one day getting so angry with my brothers and I would just drew this massive black spot covered the whole part and then I was like oh my goodness I'm not a good girl like how can I act this way I was so angry (laughs) so obviously don't do good charts but they're still around like how can yeah bring children up to be secure and confident and themselves. Yeah. So great. Well, great question. And there are a lot of different parts of this we can dig into. Um, And I guess I want to start just because it's on the tip of my tongue. We have got to remove the words good and bad because they're subjective. They're not fact. 
What Mm -hmm. I think is good, you may think is bad, right? So we, so that's why I don't like those words. And so I think charts, I I think uh, motivational charts are beautiful, but what are we actually asking our kids to do? And I'm going to come back to the answer for that in a moment, because I think there are things we can do, ways we can raise our children, things we can teach them that will help them go from being a small baby to an adult that is moving through the world in ways that we hope they will move through the world with. We can talk about that in a moment. The number one way to raise a child where we can give that child permission to be a fully formed human being without rejecting certain parts of themselves is to model that. Mm. It matters less about what we say than what we do and how we move through the world. So for example, if I'm in my kitchen and I'm like, you know, talking to my husband, or maybe I'm on the phone even, or maybe I'm just looking at my phone and looking at a text. And I say something like, oh my God, I'm such an idiot. I didn't respond to that email. What is wrong with me? Right? Like the things we say under our breath, but people can hear us. Or maybe I'm saying to my husband, oh my gosh. I mean, my husband's like, what are you going to do on Saturday afternoon? And I say, oh, I have to go to this baby shower because I said I would. And I, you know, it's like, I can't, I can't not go because I have to, I can't disappoint this person, right? If I say things like that, I am modeling, I need to be the good girl, obedient, all these things you said, obedient, please people to be good enough, mm-hmm. to be loved, to be okay. So the first thing we need to do is to model the both and with our kids. Now, I don't think any of us want to raise children who are unthoughtful and unkind and who rebel against the world in destructive ways. We don't want that for our kids, but we also wouldn't want that for ourselves because that wouldn't actually feel good, right? So there's plenty of times that we're going to make a choice that's not a quote unquote obedient choice. But if we make that choice because we know in saying no to that thing, we're taking care of ourselves or something important to us or someone we care about, that no is going to feel good. Does that make sense? Yeah. And that's such a big one for mums, isn't it? To say no to for your own self-worth, to say no to something, even though it's going to make you feel like you're not obedient or you're not looking like the perfect mother because you have to turn up. I mean, I will tell you, Lara, that this is really, I mean, I was raised in a family by two hardworking, very loving, but very anxious parents. They were both lawyers. I grew up in New York City and Brooklyn. I had a very, you know, shall we say structured life. Like my parents definitely gave me, invested in education and they gave me what I needed in many ways, but I was terrified to upset them because I didn't think they could handle it. So the smallest example that I have in my life of being the good girl, and this is really quintessential, is when I was 16, my parents told my brother and myself that they were getting divorced. My my brother, who's four years younger, freaked out. And he like threw a can of something across the room, screamed, cried. So I was 16, he was 12. I got up, I went and got the paper towels to clean up his spilled drink. I was the good girl, no emotion, 
No, I had to, I had to hold it together in my mind. I had to hold it together so that everybody else could be okay. So exactly the same experience that I went through with my mom and dad's divorce, hold it together. I'm the oldest. I can't show emotion. I have to be the other parent now with my mum. And it's like, that is way too much pressure. Yep. And I was raised in a very, you know, white Anglo-Saxon Protestant commute family. You know, we were, it's very Puritan, right? I mean, New Englanders are very like, talk about needing to be the good girl. It's so Puritan, you know, puritanical, right? Mm-hmm. It's like sit up straight. I remember my my grandmother who I adored, but had these dining room chairs with a little poke in the back so that you couldn't lean back in your chair. So you had to sit up. I mean, talk oh, about being able. Yeah. Yeah. Elbows. My, and then I can't remember if I mentioned this in one of your podcasts before I talk about this often. My mom died eight years ago and Suddenly we we were close and of course, complicated relationship, like many of us have with with our mothers. And um, the last time I saw her, she was 71. I was taking her to the airport. She was visiting us with my daughters. um, And she turns to me and she says, I have been running for class president every day of my life. So for 71 years, my mom was the youngest of three in a very New England-esque family. Every day of her life for 71 years, she felt like she had to be the good girl and win everybody's approval. Exhausting. Exhausting. And then she raised me to need to be the good girl. So we can go into that in a moment. I know you're asking how to do it differently, but I think that the stress, the pressure, the high expectation, the fear of disappointing anybody, the fear of making anyone angry, the fear of not being liked, It's so intense to live that way that you're going to drive yourself into the ground emotionally, psychologically, physically. I mean, she died early. Like it's not surprising when I think about it. So yeah, I think it's really interesting to think back to, again, like what, where did we learn this from? So your, your audience could ask themselves, where did I learn this from? What was I taught about being a good girl or a bad girl? And what does that mean? And in what ways, you know, do I inadvertently and unconsciously model that way of being to my children? And this is true if you have girls or boys, especially true if you have girls, right? Because again, I inherited my good girlness from my mom's good girlness. Mm. Now I have two daughters that I am, that are now teenagers. And I have... What my firstborn child, who's about to turn 17 in a couple of weeks. I mean, this is really interesting too, because I want to say to you and everyone who's listening, none of us get a hall pass. So even Kate Kripke, who's been doing maternal mental health and child mental health work for 20 years, does not get it right all the time, right? Like no one gets a hall pass because we all have blind spots and we are all imperfect. And I had my oldest daughter was born and she was like, I swear to you, she came out smiling. That baby, she didn't cry. You know, when I delivered her and they hand you the baby and you we're all like, is she okay? Like she's not, she came out even Steven. She came out the good girl, right? 
I had really intense postpartum anxiety. It was not because I had a child who was fussy. She was even Steven. And really growing up, when she was growing up, I would say things like, people would say, well, how's it going? And I'd be like, oh my gosh, my baby is so good. She's just so good. She's such a good girl. Like, right. I would say that, say that, say that. And then she never really had a terrible two or terrible three stage. She just rolled with it. Right. And she was the kid that was, you say to her, I mean, she basically sleep trained herself, like potty trained herself. I mean, she was so good. And because she was so good, my life was really easy as a mom, all things considered. I mean, I still had the same stuff, but I wasn't with my first having to manage all the stuff that we, that is hard when our kids are challenging. Granted, I want to tell you again, I want to tell your listeners again, I still had postpartum anxiety, right? So that was odd. Okay. So fast forward to teenagers. And now I have this teenager who's even Steven. I mean, she really is. She is a pleaser. She works so hard to please people all the time. I remember one time in sixth grade or sorry, fifth grade, her fifth grade teacher called us into the office because Kinley had been wetting her pants in fifth grade. And when we were sitting there with the teacher, Kinley said, but miss whoever it was, you told us not to leave our seats. It was quiet reading time. Okay. Good girl. So now I have this teenager and I worry about her sometimes because, or I should say I'm really paying attention because in many ways I have inadvertently sent her the message that she needs to be the good girl because it was so much easier for me when she was a good girl. Now she's got her own temperament. Our children come like she, she temperamentally, I'm sure was sort of just a go with the flow type of child. And, and, you know, I mean, funnily enough, my second child is very different than her and pushes back on everything. And I can talk about what it's been like to, to mother her if you want to, but I have had to really check myself with Kinley as she's gotten older and talk to her openly about, cause I will say to her, you can feel whatever you feel. You don't have to do this just to please me, but I'm actually responding to her in a very different way. So I'm sort of sending her two messages as a teenager. Mm -hmm. And I think my work with her is to continue to model myself. So she sees me being messy and unpredictable and uncertain and saying no to people in order to stay healthy and all those things. I want her to watch me doing that so that she can see it's okay. But I also have to really keep myself in check when she does begin to feel something hard to not, I mean, I can think this in my head and I catch it like, wait, but wait, but Kinley doesn't, she doesn't get angry about stuff like that, right? I can, do you know what I mean? I'm like, wait, why do I say that? It's just putting her in a box. So I guess all of this is like, yeah, it's so easy to bring all of this to the table with our kids and with our girls. It's really true, isn't it? It's, it makes us feel it's easier for us to have a good child, for sure. hundred percent. It's easier to love a child who's good. It's easier to feel good about ourselves when our child is good. I don't mean we don't love our child our children who are not playing by the rules, quote unquote, of course we do, but it's harder to in the moment show love when your kid is throwing a tantrum or pushing back or, or 
being unpredictable and messy. And so, yes, to the second part of your question, and how do we raise children differently? We have got to be taking care of ourselves so that we can approach our kids with neutral curiosity instead of judgment and fear. And we can't do that if we're not really present with our own feelings. If my kid is, you know, getting a bad grade at school or, you know, snaps at someone, you know, or isn't kind or, you know, God forbid, doesn't look an adult in the eye when they say hello to them, right? It, it It's sort of the practice is of holding up, just staying steady, feeling my own discomfort in those moments, taking care of me so that later I can say, hey, babe, what was happening for you when so-and-so said hi earlier? I noticed you didn't look her in the eye. What was happening for you then, right? I can have a conversation from a neutral place rather than being like, no allowance for you. You didn't say hi. That would be extreme. But, you know, or like, you know, you must always look someone in the eye, <laughs> right? <laughs> it's true though, isn't it? Because you, you, feel, I, I notice it in myself. I feel uncomfortable if someone says hello and Monty's like sticking around, whatever. But I don't force it. I'm just like, no, I'm feeling uncomfortable. That's not his issue. I don't know. He may not want to say hello. That's okay. It's a stranger. Like, we don't have to say hello. The other thing I really feel uncomfortable with, and I never do that with Monty and I won't with Arthur, is that when you say goodbye to friends and family, it's like, give them a cuddle, give them a kiss. No, like, you don't push that on anyone. Like, I really want that to change. And um, James is very good at it, but then my in-laws are like, come on, give me a cuddle. It's like, you. I've been saying to Monty, like, if you don't want to kiss anyone or hug anyone, you don't have to. Okay. So you can just so say, you're, you're getting into values. So here's the other thing about good and bad and rules. Sometimes kids are raised in families where there are rules. You have to sit down while you're eating. You have to look an adult in the eye. You must say please and thank you. Um, you have to get good grades. You all those things, right? You're not allowed to hit anyone, whatever that is. There, there's been a significant amount of research on this very topic, which I think is so interesting and is so helpful for me in my parenting. And I imagine this little tool will be really helpful for you. Children who are raised in families with rules, right? I'll say, you know, the, the must, the, the have to's. These are the rules. We sit down while we're eating. These are the rules. We shake people's hands and look them in the eye, right? They ultimately do less well in life. And the, in these studies, the, the measure of success is things like, um, you know, healthy relationships, um, uh, work, you know, reports on joy and pleasure, you know, all those sort of data points that they look at. Those kids who are raised in families with rules do less well than kids who are raised in families with clear values. So that you're not saying you have to sit down while you're eating food. If you get up, dinner's over, you've got to leave the table or go to your room. You say, we spend family meals together. And when we sit together, we form connection. Mm. And connections during mealtime is really important to our family. I love that. Right? Or you might say, respect and kindness is really important to our family. So when we look adults in the eye, when we say please and thank you, we're showing our respect. 
and respect between people is a value that we hold. Or maybe with the hugging and cuddling that you mentioned, when we come and go after we haven't seen people in a while, we want to share our appreciation for the relationships with them. Mm. So it doesn't have to be about hugging. It can be about something else. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And it's actually turned it around a bit. It's more about explaining it then to him about why people hug when they say goodbye. And I guess then it's still giving him that option as if he's uncomfortable, he doesn't have to hug. It's just explaining why people hug. And then you have that option. So good girls or good boys for that matter, matter move through the light or their life based on the shoulds. It's extrinsic, extrin, extrin, oh my gosh, extrinsic motivation. I'm not saying that word right, but you know what word I'm talking about, right? It's the motivation is from outside of us. Intrinsic motivation, I'm doing this thing because it feels good. I'm motivated to do it, right? Is a very different way of moving through the world. So if I'm moving through the world from that intrinsic motivation place, I'm moving through the world based on what I want and what I need in order to feel the way I want to feel in my life. Secure, safe, connected, successful, hopeful, joyful, whatever it is, right? So that's what this study was saying, is that children who are raised in family where the reason why they do things that they do is an external reason. I don't want to get in trouble. I don't want to be, I don't want to be seen as the bad, I don't want to be told I'm a bad boy or a bad girl right? They ultimately do less well in life because they haven't developed the intrinsic motivation to move through the world in the ways that help us move through the world, that help us build secure relationships, that help us um, be trusted by other people, that help us get jobs and careers and paid for what we do and all of those things, help us feel good and purposeful in life, right? And so it's that sort of, that's why it's, okay, what is the value that I want to teach my kids? And how can I help them learn to make decisions based on those values based rather than what I tell them they should do? Yeah, exactly that. Um, and I love that you said that. Uh, it is what they watch of you rather than what you tell them you should be doing. Um, whether we believe it or not, they, they see everything. Um, and they generally don't listen as much. <laughs> no, I mean, that's that's not just, I mean, yeah, I mean, that's based on lots of data, yeah. <laughs> right? Um, I would love that study, actually. I'll probably pick it from you. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I just want to step back a couple of things. Um, two things. What can mums do now for themselves? A few little things that they could do. And I know you mentioned being aware of, what you're doing, holding boundaries with people so that the children see that you're doing that. Anything else that they could do? Um, and then I want to touch on um, a few other things around children. Yeah, the quickest and the, the, the answer that comes to mind the quickest when you ask that question is rather than be motivated by what we are doing, what mm -hmm. should I do? Really to ask ourselves, how do I want to feel? And most of us become the good girl because we want to feel accepted, appreciated, um, respected. We want to feel a sense of belonging, 
those are all very human desired valid ways to feel in fact we need to feel those things in order to keep living right and so if you ask yourself what are the actions i can take that get me closer towards those feelings we begin to really understand that if we're waiting to get that experience those feelings by what other people think of us we're going to be it's like a hamster in a wheel we're going to be like running in place we can't actually get where we want to go exhaustion yeah so you know a simple example might be um my dad calls and he says he lives in California and he says Kate um my dad's 86 you know it, i haven't seen you in a long time it would be really great for you to bring the girls and you know, come, come to see me. He's now like, come see me and be here for Christmas. Okay. We're about to move to Japan. We have two teenage daughters who are wrapping up all the things they need to do here for six months. Well, we're only moves. We're moving back, but we're going to be in Japan for six months. I have my own sense of loss about leaving my community here for six months. There's so much to do. The good girl would say, well, I have no choice. My dad said he needs me there for Christmas. And of course I can't, I can't say no to him. I have to, we have to go be with him for Christmas. I'm going to tell you that if I did that, I would feel anxious, agitated, annoyed, angsty, right? I, I would, I would resentful. I would feel all those things that are not helpful for me and my, my health and wellness and certainly not helpful for my relationship with my dad, right? If I ask myself, how do I want to feel when I'm with my dad this Christmas? I want to say, I might say, I want to feel connected. I want to feel steady. I want to feel loving. I want to feel appreciative and grateful of him. If I say that, I'm going to think to myself, it's not a good decision for us to go there, you know, before Christmas. If we go on the 26th and spend several days with him, you know, a good chunk of time before going to Japan, I'm going to be able to show up more fully. I'm going to be more present. I'm going to be able to tie up these things at home and my girls won't feel resentful. They'll have time. So I'm going to say no to my dad. I'm going to disappoint my dad so that I can live within my own integrity so that I can show up and be present with him and loving with him and kind with him when I'm with him. So that's sort of that example. How do I want to feel? I don't want to feel resentful and angry and disconnected and all of those things. I want to feel connected and all, but one choice is going to get me there. The other choice isn't. Mm -hmm. So I'm motivated not by what I'm doing. I'm motivated by how I want to feel because when I feel good, Laura, when I feel grounded, when I feel secure, when I feel resourced, I have so much more to give to the people in my life who I care about. Yeah, I love that. Um, how do I want to feel? So that's something that people can actually start doing themselves now. Yeah. And the question, I mean, this is, I'm not, I didn't coin this term, but the question to ask is, am I willing to disappoint other people so that I'm not disappointing myself? Yeah, that's that's a deep one. Yeah, actually, for mums, because it's constant, isn't it? It's like let's give to everyone else. Um, I'm last. I come last. Yeah. Hmm. I love actually that you mentioned earlier around being imperfect. 
uh, and you, you can't get it right all the time because I feel like there is pressure on mums as well to to make sure our children are being brought up the, the right way. <laughs> so, yeah, yes. I mean, I, I think our I think being the good girl and being a perfectionist are very interconnected. And I and, you know, I. I mentioned my younger daughter, who's who's 14 a moment ago, and I would say that she is the child who's always teaching me to let go of my rigid beliefs about how one, how I need my children to feel and how I need my children to walk through the world. I need, right? To let go of that because she is an outlier. She beats her own drum. She will challenge me on almost everything. And she is also one of the most grounded, self-assured teenage girls I've ever met in my entire life. So I am raising her to define for herself what it means to quote unquote, be good, whatever. Like, I don't love that word, but if we're going to use it rather than her being good based on what I want and need, I'm raising her to learn how to trust herself and it's so amazing to watch this kid just so self-assured. And it, and to your point, the only way to do that is for me to continue to do my work every single day, to have a steady nervous system, to lean towards curiosity instead of judgment, to get to open my mind to all these new ways of being. And I mean, I'm, I don't want to, I mean, she has straight A's. She has great friends. She is all the things we would want. She's brilliant. She's so fun to talk to. Adults always talk about how much they love talking to her. She's becoming these things in this way that I'm proud of, but not because I'm telling her how to do it. I'm giving her space. Okay. So because she was allowed to be messy and angry and emotional and unpredictable and just, you just meant to roll with it and just. Well, I mean, all kids need limits. I don't mean there were no boundaries and limits. Like, yeah, you can be mad and scream, but you got to go up to your room. You can't do that in the living room, right? So there were there were limits, mm. but I wasn't taking her, I, I've been practicing this. I've not always been good at this, but I've been practicing not taking her personally, not making it about me, allowing it to be about her. And the more I've given myself permission to do that and practice the things that are necessary to do that, the more she has grown into her own person, which is a person, a human that I am so proud of, Mm -hmm. even though she makes different choices than I would make if I were her, right? Yeah. (laughs) It's so true, isn't it? You take it personally. And I, I hear it in my own self when he's, when Monty would say something and I'm like, oh, yeah, right to my heart. And then it's like, yeah. no, it's nothing to do with me. This is his, it's his journey, but it's still there. <laughs> still well, you still get to feel that. I mean, I think yeah. that's where we do the both. And as parents, if our children make a, dis, you know, my, my oldest daughter will be looking at colleges next year. She'll be a senior, right? If she makes a different decision for herself in her life than I want or wish for her to make, I'm going to feel disappointed no problem. I have, I get to feel that I have to take care of myself around that. It's not like I should tell myself I shouldn't feel any disappointment. Of course, I'm a human being, right? Well, like you said, the only two things you can control in your life, <laughs> which are, um, but you have a spot girl emotions you- and your emotions. You can't control your emotions. They're odd enough. Your um, thoughts. Sorry. 
Our, no, you're good. Our own thoughts and our own actions. So those are the only two <laughs> things we can control. That's right. You got it. Um, bringing it back to where you mentioned motivational charts are, can be a good thing. Good. Um, helpful. What, it can be helpful. Yeah. So what, for, as an example of a motivational chart, what would you use? So I'm going through some time with Monty in that he's got this brother who's 10 months old now and he's moving around and he's getting a little bit on top of Monty wanting to play with him a lot and Monty doesn't like it so he's been hitting a lot so for me I'm learning about okay let's it's okay to be angry it's okay to be annoyed at your brother uh it's not okay to hit so I'm going to take Arthur away from this situation uh, and then, you know, if you are, if you don't want him there, let me know. I can move him away. Like He doesn't have to be on you. But he's very angry at the moment, which is fine. But it's a lot. And he's he's getting very aggressive. He gave me a fat lip last week. He's like battered Arthur a few times. So it's and I was considering not the good chart because that's like hell on earth for me bringing it all back but something to help me him Arthur you know yeah it's great how old is he he's four and a half yeah so I mean I have so many thoughts on this and you know maybe we'll do a part four to get into some of this more if you have other questions but always testosterone anger the the first thing I just want to remind you is Mm. that behavior is always a reflection of how someone feels so as parents when we discipline based on behavior without actually really digging deeper into what's the emotion that's that's propelling the behavior, we miss the point, right? So again, this goes back to this topic of good girls. Good girls d- aren't mean, mm-hmm. right? Good girls okay, are- that that's fine. We can teach our children, you know, if, if let's say I have this mind and my idea in my head now at 2023, which I don't say it this way, but let's say I said to myself, good girls aren't mean. And I see my, one of my daughters, like picking on another child. And I were to say, you are not allowed to treat other people that way. You're being a bad girl. Okay. And I'm just focusing on the behavior. I'm actually missing both a parenting opportunity as well as an opportunity to get underneath at what is causing that behavior. If my daughter is being mean, she is feeling something. And that meanness is is the action, right? Our beliefs lead to our thoughts. Our thoughts lead to our feelings. Our feelings lead to action. And all that action looks leads to what our life looks like. My daughter is feeling something. And so my, I might in the moment go up to her and say, hey, kiddo, we, I will always use the word we. I have always done that in my parenting. We do not talk to people like that in our family. Hmm. And I might remove her. I'll be like, play date is over. I mean, they're older now, but let's say they were younger, right? And then I might come back when she's calmed down and say, hey, tell me what was happening for you back there. I'm going to get so curious on the feeling. You might say to him, hey, buddy, we do not use our physical body and our family when we're angry. And you'll, you'll remove them. And then you might come back and in your own version of your own words with him as a four-year-old, you might say, what was going on? before. Were you angry about something? 
right? And again, he's old enough to begin to have some kinds of conversations like that. You're not going to have an adult conversation about it, but he's going to know that you're, that you're watching, that you're paying attention. And usually, you know, quote unquote, bad behavior or our our kids acting out is coming from an emotional need. Mm -hmm. And so we want to make room for the emotional need. So I guess that's just one thought. Does that, how does that land for you before I go into the, yeah, Yeah. okay. So here's what I love. I never did sticker charts. I did like these, uh, Mason jars with like marbles or stones in them. And I would have a bunch of marbles or a bunch of stones. And every time my kids did something that was a pause, that was in line with what I wanted them to do right? I was hoping they would do like ask nicely for the toy, toy, toy instead of grabbing it, mm-hmm. right? Or whatever that thing is, they would get a marble or they'd get a stone. And then at five marbles or five stones, we would go pick out a book at the bookstore together, right? It's some sort of accumulation. I will tell you, some people may think that this is wackadoodle, but it worked for our family. When my kids got old enough to have allowances, you know, where they got sort of a weekly allowance, there would be 10 things that I, this was an exhausting parenting choice, but it worked <laughs> 10 things on our allowance list. And the, at the end of every day, we would go through. And if they had done seven out of those 10 things, they would get a marble in the jar. Okay. And if they got seven marbles in the jar at the end of the day, they would get $2 or whatever their allowance was. Right. But on that list were things like, look, Look grown-ups in the eye. Put your put your plate in the sink. Yeah. Be kind to your sister. I mean, st- I was basically bribing them. Yeah. I was bribing them. But the point is that our kids need what's in it for them is the point, right? Yeah. So you could call it bribes, you could call it rewards. But when you think about your son, your older son with your baby, what's in it for him? to not hit his younger brother. And so getting really like creative around that is what's going to help versus saying bad boy. Exactly. Some kids don't care about the red star on the chart. They don't give a shit. So it's like, it's not in, they don't care. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And marble's a brilliant idea. And I love that they don't have to be specific, like a good chart is specific things, like put your toys away, da-da-da-da, each week, each day. A marble is, okay, cool, you've just done something, let's pop that in. He loves marbles, he'll, he sees it, he'll get something after five or ten marbles, like, yeah. Yeah, and it's internal motivation. You're motivating him to make certain choices that get him what he wants in life. And that's what we're doing. If I'm kind to someone, I'm going to get what I want from that person, which is kindness back. The only way to get kindness back is for me to make the choice to be kind, right? And so we want that internal motivation for our kids, not the external motivation, not because we tell them so, but because that decision leads to something they want. Yeah, which is brilliant. Yeah, I love that. Is there, I'm conscious of time, is there anything that you want to leave our listeners with around this good girl, good boy? Yeah, I mean, from one good girl to another, one recovering good girl to another, for your listeners who this relate resonates to, <laughs> I just, I want to like say this thing I say so often, my heart feels your heart. 
it is really, really exhausting and hard to move through the world as the good girl. My experience in my own life, and I'm now 50, so you know, I'm not going to wait until I'm 71 to realize I've been running for class president my whole life, but I do realize probably in the last 10 years is when I've really been checking myself and getting more curious and present and aware of the choices I'm making and why. As I have learned to be more authentic to who I am and to follow in, you know, move through life from a place of value versus a place of rules, my anxiety has almost gone away. And I think it's that sense of trusting myself, that sense of knowing that I have good intentions and that not everyone's always going to be so happy with the choices I make and that that's not, that that is okay. My work in that has literally set me free. So I, I just want people to know that they don't have to keep walking through the world like the like the good girl. People are going to like you and not like you, judge you and honor you, whether you are the quote, quote unquote good girl or not, right? So making room to step out of that is really freeing. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And it's true. It's people are going to like you either way or not like you either way. So you might as well just be yourself. I'm telling myself as the good girl turning into, like you were saying, recovering good girl. <laughs> well, you said you made a really beautiful um, example, and you've said this before in our other conversations. You said that when one of your kids was having a tantrum, you didn't rush to get them to be quiet so that other people felt okay. You were willing to allow for other people's discomfort in service of what felt accurate and true and right for you and your child in the moment. And I think that's the other thing. I think when we can walk through the world and trust that other people have the capacity to take care of themselves, that we do not need to be taking care of how they feel all the time. When we were little girls, we may have felt like I certainly did that I had to do certain things to make sure that my parents felt okay. When we can walk through the world trusting that other people can be okay, even when they're uncomfortable, we have so much more room. Mm. Just that finish. Nice ending. (laughs) Kate, thank you so much again for our episode. Um, Anyone who wants to work with Kate, I'm going to drop in the show notes how you can do that. Um, I'm actually going to be working with her too. So I'm very excited about that. Can't wait to, can't wait to have you in that program. I think you're going to love it. 2024 is the recovery year for me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, if you have any questions, listeners, please drop us an email. Kate will always happily answer them. And myself, if you have any, it's realtalkformums at gmail.com. And please share this episode with anyone who is experiencing the good girl going through that process. Maybe they're a people pleaser and maybe they're struggling with boundaries. This will help them. Uh, And thank you again, Kate. Happy holidays. Bye.